Listening Dog Media. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Offside Rule Exclusives. Scoring 152 goals in his 17-year career, striker Bobby Zamora is best known for his time at Brighton and Hove Albion and West Ham United. But he also had spells at three other London clubs, including Fulham, QPR and Spurs. Having grown up in Essex, the offside rule went back there to meet the former England international and discuss his achievements, his regrets and his philanthropic nature. I'm joined by Bobby Zamora in a very swanky apartment. I know this is part of your life nowadays, and one of the ventures that you've got into is doing um, social housing and building and property, something that's been a keen interest of yours. Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, on the, on the social housing and, and, and helping local government side, um, the Legacy Foundation was set up, myself, Rio Ferdinand and Mark Noble. So, yeah, we're working with local housing associations, with, with councils to try and create more social housing, but also something for the kids, really. So sports, education, almost like an old school youth centre, really, where you can, after school, I mean, there's that witching hour when when you finish school and your parents are at work, maybe, and you've got three hours to kill before they get home. And it's uh, trying to have something to, to entertain the children, to guide the children, put them in, in a safe environment, really, where they can also learn and play. So we are working hard on it. It's a very slow process. We've learned working with um, councils and government, but it's something that we're determined to do. Um, and it's, uh, we're still chugging away and, and striving for, for what we want. How did it come about? Was it, was it your idea? Uh, it was Rio Ferdinand, actually. I mean, I used to share a car into training uh, with Rio and um, we got talking about it. Mark Noble's one of my best friends just evolved really the conversation evolved Rio had a, had a, had a friend who has a special um, funding process which, which allows councils to benefit so they 
they can create a revenue stream, they can get a capital receipt, and they also own the, the asset at the end of it as well. So um, it's quite unique, quite different to anything they've seen for, seen before. So it's a slow process, and trying to convince them that it works for them is is, is slow. But like I say, it's saying that we're, we're working out and we have success, and um, we can't wait to have the, the first one on the ground. But in the background, we're... we're have a fantastic team in the charity side of it um our trustees are amazing so yeah they're they're working hard and where we put these funds and who we can help and how we can help them speaking to you post your football career so you've retired 35 i mean mm-hmm. it does throw up that question about life after football this is obviously one thing that you've immersed yourself in when you did retire was that a difficult point for you to work out what to do next um not really my my career um i sort of with my injuries so Monday to Friday, normally you'd be out on a Monday and a Tuesday, Wednesday off, train on Thursday, Friday, game on a Saturday. Mine sort of turned out to be just training on a Thursday maybe. So Monday, Tuesday, I have a lot of time. Obviously you go to the training ground, you have a laugh and a joke with the boys, then you go out to train. But when it's a, a long-term injury or a process that you have to do constantly, it it's actually becomes quite mentally tough. And uh, yeah. It's not it's not what you sign up to to do really in terms of you know the boys go out and train and have and have all the fun and you're in the gym doing your your exercises that you do constantly. Um, but in that time, I managed to focus on where I was. I mean, obviously, I knew my my career was coming to an end. Managed to focus my uh, my mind on what I was going to do afterwards, what my passions were, and and where I wanted to go. So, on the flip side of it, yes, it was hard work as a player, and you want to be playing and training every day. But on the flip side of that, it gave me an opportunity to to think about where I was going to go and how I was going to do it. The landscape has changed quite significantly, not just even in the time that you've retired. So, I'm aware now that you can't actually collect any pension investments that you made as a footballer until 55. It used to be 35, which is the year that you would have retired originally. Yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a funny old process. I didn't really get too much involved in the, in the pension side of it. I like bricks and mortar myself, so <laughs> I, I chose to go down a different route. But yeah, um, I know, I know some, some players have got a, a, a bit of a wait now until they can access their pensions. Um, so yeah, but uh, th- thankfully, like I said, I... I didn't really go down that route. There's a little bit of money in the pension that, that's been in there, but uh, something that, that I don't really depend on. You do feel that footballers need that element of support nowadays. I mean, we'll come back to, to what you're doing at the moment, as well as all the property investments and, and other bits and pieces that you've got going on. Um, that, that life after football is of interest to people. But let's go back, first mm-hmm. of all, because you were born and brought up in Barking. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know what that area is like, give us some insight. Uh, it's just like well, any in a, in a London sort of town, although Barking comes under uh, Essex, um, I still class it as it's a London borough, uh, but it still comes under Essex. But it's, yeah, it's like any sort of nitty gritty um, borough in London, really. Um, there's good things and bad things about it. Thoroughly enjoyed my 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 upbringing. Um, I lived in actually lived in Manor Park, uh, which is in Newham. I went to school in in Barking, so um, uh, yeah, got on a bus every day and, and and went to school. But like I say, thoroughly enjoyed it. I suppose it's made me what I am again. And uh, yeah, my kids live a slightly different life, but I, uh, a little bit for me wishes that they could could experience and and yeah, have a taste of of what I sort of had growing up. Was it a big footballing part of the world? Did you feel quite lucky to be in an area that took football quite seriously? 
Yeah, plenty of boys clubs, plenty of um, football teams to join and, and, and pitches everywhere. Well, I, we used to play in between the cars on, on, on my road. So, yeah, football was, was everywhere. Kids, that's all the kids wanted to do. No, no Minecraft, no iPads, no nothing like that. So it was generally the whole, the whole of the area out on the streets in the summer holidays and enjoying themselves. And I think that's why, that's why we try and we're trying to do do that with the Legacy Foundation to, to give somewhere that the kids can go and play and enjoy themselves. And my, like I say, my upbringing was fantastic and enjoyed every every moment of it. Really did. And often when you speak to people, there's that one person that breaks through the glass ceiling because it is a difficult career to get into. But you actually, from a young age, were playing with some big names. Um, I, I'm just looking down on my list of the sorts of people that you knew very early on. John Terry, Ledley King, Paul Koncheski, some some big, big names. Yeah, crazy. It's... Um yeah, as a kid, I remember growing up and, and being told, yeah, you know, maybe one of, you know, one of your sort of peers or yourself may become a professional footballer. But yeah, like you say, looking back now and, and seeing that five of my Sunday sides um, all went on to play for uh, for England, get senior caps is, is quite remarkable, really. So yeah, quite really, I don't think that'll happen again. Um, but a fantastic boys team, Senrab. We used to play at Wanstead Flats. Lee Bowyer, Jermaine Defoe, Sol Campbell, I think. Um, those guys were in different ages as well that all came through there. And yeah, I was lucky to have some some great guidance uh, and a great team. And uh, yeah, we're all fortunate enough to have, to have made it to, to play professional football. We're not even talking about an academy. I mean, what was it about that place? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It was a, it was a, a special place, um, special team. Like I say, one, one in a million, no doubt. And it's not very many footballers that can say as well that they've played for their childhood club, that they, they've probably dreamt of putting that shirt on. You did that with West Ham. So you, you lived and breathed West Ham. I'm guessing you've got early memories of going down to the bowling ground. Yep, I remember going down to the bowling ground. My mum taking me down and um, going to watch. I think they played Oxford's. Oxford United was the first game I ever went to go and see them play. Um, but yeah, I used to go and see Frank McAvenny and George Paris. Um, those guys were the, the guys up front, and then when I joined the academy as a kid, um, we obviously used to get tickets. So every weekend or you know every home game, I'd be there and jump on a bus and and go down and watch. And all the all the players in the academy all pretty much sitting with each other and watching the game. So fantastic memories watching watching West Ham play, and yeah, like you say, to to go away, um, get my opportunity to play football at, at Brighton. Um, and then have the chance to come back and, and, like you say, run out of Upton Park. I remember my first home game and the crowd singing uh, Bubbles and obviously I'm singing it as well. Hairs on the back of my neck. It was it was really, really uh, a special day for me and probably um, one of my top memories in football. And one of the top memories because you actually scored in that match. And Did you score the winner? Yeah, I think it was 1-0. Um, but yeah, certainly scored on your home debut. Um, so, like I say, it couldn't have gone any better. Harley turns it deep in again. Can Daly bring it back? It's in there! It's Samara on his debut! Mentally, what were you going through then? Because is that something where you're extra pumped up because it's a team that means so much to you? Or are you having to pull back and say, don't get too carried away with this, don't get too emotionally invested? Um, I, I, always, I always think to myself that I'm 
quite level-headed or don't really take too much attention to hype or anything like that but yeah that game that day I can remember was was yeah it was quite emotional for me like I say going out Upton Park and the hairs on the back of my neck that you know I'd, I'd played for a, a few years professionally and never really had that experience at all but to, to do that that was the one day certainly for me that stands out. You saying about singing I'm Forever Blown Bubbles, mm. it, it's interesting the song thing because I, I feel like watching you growing up and watching football in the era that you played in, you were probably the footballer that had the most chance about you. Um, just up and down, whether it be Brighton, West Ham, Fulham, QPR, there was always a song. Is that to do with your name? Because it's just... It's poetic, is it? Yeah, possibly. Uh, I'm not a songwriter, but yeah, like you say, there is there is a few songs, and um, yeah, I've been quite fortunate enough to to be able to hear that out on the pitch. And uh, like you say, as a kid, you dream of that sort of thing, and to have that to have that happiness is uh, is very special. And yeah, a few songs. So. Do you still get them sung at you occasionally? Yeah, every now and then. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah, so um, some good, not some not so good. So, but um, but no, fantastic, great memories. You've had quite a significant part to play in playoff finals uh, during your career. I'm imagining that that's sort of a, a whole other level of atmosphere when there's so much at stake. Uh, yeah, big big occasions. First one, um, we didn't actually win West Ham Palace at Cardiff. Um, and we lost that game. It's Andrew Johnson, more than capable of scoring, and he very nearly did, and Neil Shipley has! And Crystal Palace score first in the first division. Playoff. Next year we bounced straight back um, into the final and, yeah, managed to score, score a winning goal in that one. So, fantastic to take, like you say, the team that you support, back up into the Premier League that's what I went there for I signed from Spurs in the Premier League went to West Ham um, in a championship and that's what that was the aim to get West Ham in the Premier League and managing to score that winning goal like you say another very very special uh, goal for me and a tremendous feeling and Queen's Park Rangers have won it Bobby Zamora played into his path and has jabbed it in the 10 men are ahead it's another Bobby Dazzler from Zamora. It's Derby County nil. Queen's Park Rangers won. Three minutes of added on time to go. Would you believe it? No. Unbelievable. This is the Offside Rule from Muddy Knees Media. Manager-wise, who was it that you really enjoyed playing under? Um, do you know what? I've been quite lucky. I've a lot of good managers, a lot of managers had a lot of faith in me. Um, so I've, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, Mickey Adams at the start, Steve Koppel, Peter Taylor, who, who managed to get us in the under-21 side um, with, with his experience of, of international football. Um, yeah, Pards, Glenn Hoddle obviously signed me for, for Spurs. Um, you know, what a fantastic um, player Glenn was and, to, to have somebody with that much knowledge and experience to, to actually want to splash the cash as such and, and, and take a gamble on somebody that's played their football at the, at the lower leagues as such um, would be special. But um, Roy Hodgson, probably for me, is the, the best manager at the time. We, we played with him and um, his sessions were very regimented and we'd do pretty much the same session every single day. And at the time, you think, bloody hell, this is boring. This is so, so, so frustrating. You just want to go and express yourself um, and, and have some fun. But, but Roy would drill 
um, drillies teams in, in where the balls should be going, the movements the players should make. Um, and it's only now that you, you look back and you realise that's why we got to a European Cup final. That's why we beat Manchester United. That's why we beat Arsenal. That's why we beat, you know, all the big teams. And like you say, getting to a European Cup final um, for a club that isn't massive um, is special. And that, that happened because we had one, we had a great set of players, good players, talented players, but also we had Roy Hodgson who, who um, organised and, and pretty much told us what we should be and should and shouldn't be doing and, how, and where the ball could and couldn't go. I mean, I generally could have played left back in that team because I knew exactly where the players were going to move um, and, and vice versa and everyone knew their roles. Do you believe he still manages like that now at Crystal Palace? I, I don't think he's probably got another way, to be honest. Um, uh, it's brought him a lot of success all his career, so I don't, I don't see why it should change. And for you now going into coaching, is that something that you take from him? Because you look at the modern day footballer and actually the argument might be quite the contrary, that they want variety, you know, keep changing things, keep them thinking ahead, because actually that mundane feeling might be something that they're trying to escape, but actually it might have its benefits. Yeah, no doubt. Of course, um, everyone's different, their coaching techniques, their, their management styles, but certainly from my experience and what Roy done and how he done it. Um, I think, yes, as a kid, you, you obviously need to learn and experience so many different ways. As a professional, it's very different. I think you've, uh, we were an experienced bunch of lads, really, that, that, that have been playing uh, at the top level for a while. So I think that side of it, yeah, structuring how, how he wants to deliver and how he has his, his perception of how he wants to play is fine. But yes, yeah, certainly as kids, you want to go and have some enjoyment and, um, and learn uh, different techniques. So, yeah, changing managers, uh, change coaches, change the venue, scenery, all those bits and pieces uh, will enhance every player, no doubt. I'm speaking to you when I look at your England international career, um, two senior caps, mm. and I'm thinking, well, if Gareth Southgate had been the manager when you were on the scene, you probably would have got a lot more because he's obviously given newer players a chance. Back when you were playing, it was so much more difficult to get that first nod, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. It took me a while to get it, to be fair. But um, uh, yeah, my, my international career was fantastic. I, I, I enjoyed going, being with the squads. Um, I don't know how many times I was there, 12, 15 maybe. So experiencing and playing with the likes of Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, you know, um, for a couple of weeks is, is, was fantastic. Obviously, I missed out on the World Cup due to injury. Fabio Capello phoned me to ask me if, if you know, I could go to South Africa. We just had the European Cup final. I probably shouldn't have played in that. But I played and needed an operation, came off um, just after half-time, I think. So, yeah, when Fabio Capello tells you, look, once you've come to the World Cup, and having to say no, that's my, probably only my, my only regret in football, actually, is, is saying no because I needed an operation. I, and in my mind, I just thought, if I went to the World Cup, would I train? Probably not because I needed to rest my Achilles. If I wasn't training, would I be selected? Probably not because you'll have three or four other strikers there. So in my mind, it was just go get it done and be sorted for next season. Now, looking back, I probably should have been selfish um, and experience the World Cup really. Are there certain injuries, I suppose especially positionally as a striker as well, that you know you might not ever be the same afterwards? Um, the way I played football towards the end of my career or, or certainly my time at Fulham, I think injury-wise, 
I could have dealt with it. I mean, I was not electric, so I think that's one of the main parts. If you pick up an injury, are you going to have that lightning pace that some players do have? Um, for myself, it was being a big, strong target man, so the lightning pace wasn't actually needed too often. So um, for myself, I just um, carried on, just stayed strong, stayed in the gym, worked on my strength, um, and that became a big part of my game. Very recently, we've just had an anniversary, I think it was 2007, when West Ham relegated Sheffield United and you've got Tevez in the team. And you must have seen all those articles quite recently. What was that like at the time when Tevez and Mascherano were unveiled? And you must have watched the World Cup, talking about World Cups, you'd have seen them playing for Argentina and thought, what's going on here? Um, I remember the first day they came in, I didn't actually know too much about them. They were, um, yeah, obviously big name players, um, but I don't, I don't, it just felt quite distant. They felt quite, because they weren't European, they weren't playing in Europe. I think they obviously huge stars uh, in their own right in, in, in South America. But when they came to England, it was like, right, who are these guys? What are they all about? Um, but certainly after the, the first day or two and seeing them in training, we, we, we un- well, I certainly understood that, you know, all the hype and what, what it was all about. And company and people owned. So these are players. It was the first time we'd, we'd heard of that. Yeah, I didn't, as, again, I didn't really, didn't really understand what that was all about. Um, but to be honest, not my issue, not my problem. Just wanted to carry on playing football. Two new players and that's all it was. If the paperwork's done correctly, incorrectly, it was nothing to do with me. Didn't know the ins and outs of the deal. So you just put your, your faith in the club lawyers and doing what they do. So didn't even cross my mind, to be honest. So in the dressing room, it doesn't really affect players because you do wonder whether there's those chats that happen, and it's like, well, what's happened here, and what does that mean for us? No, I don't even think I don't even think at the end of the season, even when we were playing Sheffield United, all of that, I don't, I don't think we even, even spoke about it. It was just get on, do the game, and win the game, and that's that's going to put Sheffield United to bed. Nothing else. It did announce them to to the world. I mean, did you realise the sort of talents that they were straight away? Uh, yeah, obviously, as soon as you can tell when players come into a club, you know, in the first keep ball session, um, whether they've got enough or, or what sort of player they are. And uh, yeah, fantastic players. Mascherano only played a couple of games for us. Um, Hayden Mullins kept him out of the team, but a lot of people think, you know, that's ridiculous. And <laughs> But Hayden was a very, very special player. He was a get it, give it, under the radar, seven out of 10 every week, we understood the Premier League. So... The players that play with him understand that. Mascherano, fantastic, unbelievable, unbelievable player. Great work ethic. Um, when we used to finish training uh, and he wasn't playing, he would be straight in the gym on the treadmill, uh, pounding it for 45 minutes. So he knew exactly where he wanted to be, what he wanted to do. And uh, he got his he got his move to Liverpool and he was fantastic. But yeah, amazing lad. Wanted to learn English straight away. Tevez, on the other hand, not, not so much, but a fantastic character, good guy, um, and again, gave it all on the pitch. Given the players that you're friends with, I wonder if you less gravitated towards sort of flair players, if you like, and more to those real hard workers, the grafters in the team, you know, your Mark Nobles, your Rio Ferdinands that you're in business with. They've not for one minute would ever, you know, not, not run through a wall for the team, would they? Um, no, nah, those guys, yeah. I mean, they're fantastic players, fantastic people. But yeah, probably, yeah. My friends that I've stayed in contact with uh, are probably the workhorses, are probably the, the people that you know when you say something to them or they say something to you, it's honest and it's 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 um, it's correct. So, whereas, yeah, 
I'm not saying flair players are liars, but I don't know. You know exactly what you're going to get from certain people, and, and those are the people that I've uh, I've certainly kept in contact with. So post football, you went to be a club ambassador as well for Brighton and Hove Albion. Natural fit, given what you achieved there. I, I, I mean, I'm no mathematician, but the fact that you've got 84 goals in 168 appearances means a goal every other game. <laughs> Pretty good statistic. Yeah, uh, like I say, uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Absolutely loved it. Both periods, first period obviously gave me the opportunity to play football and um, I was lucky enough, like you say, to score a lot of important goals and um, help the club to uh, two automatic uh, uh, promotions and, and championship wins. So um, fantastic times and going back, sort of ending my career there, um, just missed out yeah. on on promoting to every division that would have been on goal difference is a, is a real kick in the teeth. But that second period, yes, frustrated injury-wise, but uh, I think I still managed 10 goals for them and scoring on my second um, return to the club on the debut, second debut almost, I suppose, um, at Leeds United scoring a winning goal last 10 minutes. That's, that was a great, a great feeling as well, being able to do that. For anyone who's not so aware, what does the club ambassador role involve? Is, is this you constantly doing interviews on behalf of the club, entertaining, hosting people? Um, I, I, I do a few bits and pieces. I don't, I don't find myself wanting to over sort of put myself out there, Brighton, Brighton everywhere. Do you know what I mean? I just, I actually just want to help the club. Um, I, I went to West Ham, actually I went to Brighton West Ham with ladies game the other day. Um, fantastic to, say, to see the women's game uh, progressing and, and seeing the clubs, West Ham and, and um, Brighton ladies team really, really kicking on now and that game's and, and the club itself is, is growing. So being involved in that, being involved in a little bit in the community stuff, um, doing some stuff at, at some of the home games, but just thoroughly enjoying it really, being still being in there and around the club, um, a club that means so much to me. You've got daughters as well, so did you take them along to watch? Um, I took one of them, yeah, one of the girls that, that's uh, into, into footy. She uh, she went to watch that and uh, knows one or two of the, the female players now, so um, she's close with uh, uh, Laura Rafferty. Um, who's currently injured, unfortunately. But yeah, it's nice for her to see those those girls on their stage and performing. And she, we've just come back from Dubai doing our football escapes, and she she's had a fantastic week doing that as well. Is that the one thing that's missing now in the comparison between men's and women's? Is that time with the fans? The fact that at the end of the match they're there over in with the fans giving autographs, selfies. Mm. It feels like there's that personal touch there in women's football still. There is, there is no doubt, but I don't think you'd be able to do it with 60,000 people. Um, but yeah, the women's game certainly is kicking on at present and um, the World Cup just gone. I've probably watched more of the women's games than the men's games in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it says a lot. It's, it's really great. It's great to see. Like I say, one of my daughters absolutely loves it now. Come back from holiday, dad, need to find me a club, need to find me a club. So, yeah, it's great. It's great. It really is. Let's talk about coaching. How did that come onto your radar was it something that when you were playing you thought you might one day get into or is it be more of an evolution uh it's a bit of an evolution to be honest coaching professionally an absolute no-no for me I think uh, uh, just the pressure um in terms of owners fans media it is 24 as a player you do your training from 10 you start at 10 you're at home by 2 30 3 o'clock as a manager, as a coach, you're just it's just non-stop bombarded with with everything from everyone and, and you, you can't escape from it. So as a player I used to 
go home, switch off from football, just not really watch too much when I was when I was playing. Um, I, I likened it to a to a painter and decorator. <laughs> if you go in and you're painting walls and you're you're doing this, that, and the other all, all day, you don't go home and first thing you do put changing rooms on, do you? Do you know what I mean? It's that's the way I liken it. I, me myself, I like to switch off from football uh, and didn't watch it. But um, I watch a lot more football now. But um, I wouldn't want to be a coach in the Premier League in a in a in a professional uh, game. You still can't escape it now though, because you switch it on and Dion Dublin's on the telly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's in changing rooms. There you go, <laughs> sir. Um, but yeah, he's um, uh, yeah. For me, just as I say, professional uh, coaching isn't the avenue. But certainly having fun, laughing, giggle with the kids. Uh, that's more my thing. So you're not someone, even though you've scored many occasion and got the glory, but you're not after the glory here. No, I don't. No, no, it's it's not for me. It's not for me, and never really has been. So um, it's not saying that I, I find myself wanting to go into. You've done a lot of badges now. So where are you up to? No, just uh, just uh, B. So that's that's all. And, and you're happy to stay there. Don't want to go any no. further. As I say, that's just need, needed for the elite boys, and um, I'm fine with that. And are there many other footballers that you know that have got a similar outlook to it and want to to just remain at B and? Yeah, I think so. Um, like I say, it's 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 just consuming. It really is. It's it's uh, nonstop. It seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the media side of it is just it's just frightening. Really, it's everywhere. Everyone's got their phones and their cameras and all those bits and part pieces of of football today is is uh, a bit off putting. I think for a lot of players um, and certainly players that are coming towards the end of their career and not really wanting to be involved in that side of it. I was going to say that you must have plenty of phone calls from people wanting you managers to come and, and work with their strikers. However, I'm wondering, is that the case? Because the, the sort of striking role that you had isn't as fashionable anymore, is it? That player that holds up play and lays off the ball and, like you say, a bit more of a target man. But you see these things work in circles, it might come yeah. around again. No doubt. I think, you know, I think there's certainly a place for, for, a, for a target man as such in, in every team. Um, and if you, if you speak to a lot of the, the um, let's say, short, sharp, quick, explosive players um, up front, they like playing with someone that's going to take those hits and give them that opportunity on the edge of the box uh, when that ball does come in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the, certainly uh, a position and a, and a role that is never going to disappear, I think. We've spoken about some of your favourite memories. Um, I just wondered what else brings to mind when you look back collectively over your career? Because obviously there's the promotions, there's the scoring on debuts, but are there any particular games that, that you relive very vividly? Um, probably the, the the Fulham uh, Juventus game at home in the in the Europa League, three one down away from home, um, and needing obviously a big win against a team that you know, World Cup winner Cannavaro, Del Piero, Trezeguet, Felipe Melo, it's just an unbelievable side, um, and conceding within the first couple of minutes to make it 4-1 to them on aggregate and, and having to, to come back and uh, produce something very, very special, which we did. And for me, managing to score in that game and, and being a part of that evening at Craven Cottage um, was was probably the most special night 
I think in my in my career, um, and and yeah, uh, I just uh, spoke to somebody the other day, and it's ten year anniversary this year. So um, I believe that Fulham are, uh, are going to get try and get the team together, and which will be nice because some of the boys I haven't seen for a while. But uh, that probably is an outstanding moment uh, and a, and a, and a night that's yeah, like you say quite vivid in my in my mind. Offside rule exclusives. Lots of different journalists that I work with. When when you ask about the, the grounds that you like to go to, Craven Cottage is one of the first that people mm. say. Um, I think it's probably the tradition, isn't it? And the the wooden seats and that that old atmosphere. Just the place, just the place is is fantastic. Like you say, the old uh, listed cottage, which is which is beautiful. The wooden seats, yeah. I mean, obviously they've got the development there now and and building the new stand, which again, which which should enhance. Enhance the riverside of it, you know, uh, what a fantastic view uh, and location that is. But yeah, I remember um, signing for Fulham. One of the first things I had to do was go to the club shop. I'd just come from, <laughs> from West Ham in East London. I'd gone to, to Fulham, um, who was obviously owned by Mohamed Al-Fayed and, and Harrods. And in the club shop, obviously signing a few bits and pieces. When they opened the doors, they, they had people there with trays of champagne for the people coming in and I, I remember thinking this is so weird coming from East London whereas if you'd have done that the, the whole of the whole of um, East Ham would have been down and, and taking those those bottles of champagne but um, it was uh, yeah it was eye-opening and uh, what a fantastic club. That's the difference between East and West London clearly. <laughs> well Alfred's view of it yeah certainly I mean he, he was uh, he was uh, a fantastic owner really was and, and done little special things like that for the fans owners uh, nowadays they seem to be some from afar managing from countries abroad and and being more like a business venture and some more hands-on coming down to the dressing room after a result I mean what, what did you prefer as a player um I quite liked them being at the ground being at the games and, and seeing and understanding whereas uh some of those owners that are are very busy people for one and are all all around the world doing bits and pieces um but for me i I, I quite like like those owners being at the ground and seeing and experiencing it and knowing firsthand what your investment's doing and 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 what how the players are performing really and not just getting it third hand and being told by somebody else making their own mind up about uh, decisions hope you don't mind me asking about this, but it's quite topical at the moment with the, the racism in football, the way that Raheem Sterling has, has been quite a spokesman for it, um, Tyrone Mings, who handled his England debut really well. And there is more of a spotlight on it now. And I just wondered when you played, if, if that had caused any problems for you. Do you know what? Not so much, really. Um, probably, I can, I can probably only think of a couple of occasions um, where I've experienced it myself, but... Football done the talking, and I, and I think I vaguely remember the two two games, winning the games, scoring in one of them, and that sort of being my my what have you got to say now? Sort of hand to ear sort of thing, really. Um, so just ignoring and getting on with it. But yeah, now I mean, obviously um, Tyrone Mings and the England setup and and what they done the other night was fantastic, um, and uh, there's no place for it. Raheem Sterling 
top of the game for me. He's probably one of the best players in the world for me by now, by by far, um, and and how he's dealt with everything. And and to be honest, he's had. Uh, the media on his back for a long, long time for all sorts of stupid reasons from tattoos and, and interpreting what a tattoo means instead of asking or, you know, just things like that. But but Raheem's been fantastic. He's helped and dealt with everything so well um, and, and long may it continue for him. I think the, the press as well in this country when we pick up newspapers and things happen like that when we, England were on international duty, it's very quick to point the finger abroad do you think more needs to be done here? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, it does, but it's, it's going to be a slow process and the, the likes of um, John Barnes and uh, Rossini and all those guys that, that experienced it on, on a week-to-week basis here in England can see the, the, the progress that's been made um, and and in England the progress will be made and continue. So um, we're doing very well here. Yes, the rest of the world still needs to uh, does need to catch on, and uh, it, again, um, what what England done the other day and is in the right process and the right right steps for for um, educating everybody else. Uh, a podcast that I like to listen to is called How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, completely unfootball related. But considering that you brought up earlier in the conversation that you know you had a regret about not taking that opportunity with England with Fabio Capello and South Africa and. Mm-hmm. I wondered whether, given the, the, the influence that you can have as a footballer nowadays, whether there was anything you regretted not speaking out about, whether there was something, you know, you've just mentioned as well that you, you've been to women's football recently, maybe that was something that was a little ignored. Um, oh, wow, regrets. I, I don't think I have too many. Um, Kyle, you sprung that one on me. It's easy to think, isn't it? I, when I listen to that podcast, when I'm I'm usually driving to matches, yeah. and people always give three things that they failed at. You know, I, if if I threw that at you, you know, what would you say you failed in, and how it made you a better person? Um, I don't like to, I don't like to fail, so <laughs> um, probably more England games, probably more England caps, but yeah. Regret, maybe. Um, when I was at Fulham, uh, Roy Hodgson left, went to Liverpool. Um, they came in for me. Spurs at the same time, January transfer window, Harry Redknapp, uh, Roy Hodgson both bidding. Um, Al-Fayed being Al-Fayed said, said no. Um, um, but maybe, maybe I should have dealt with it differently. Maybe I should have done what I've seen other people do. Um, it, and get the move that they want but um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a regret but thoroughly enjoyed my time at Fulham and uh, stayed there and, and enjoyed it so um, maybe that would be one regret not being able to go to Liverpool Spurs at the, at the top time probably Liverpool would have been the one And I suppose because they are a club that are world-renowned as well. They've got so many international fans as well as here. And the fact that they're doing so well again, um, maybe it would would have been nice to be part of that history. Yeah, possibly. But again, that's if buts and maybes, isn't it? But... uh... Yeah. You did play against them in the FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah, played against them a few times in my career and um, scored a couple of goals. So, yeah, you know, Anfield's an amazing place. And um, just walking down the tunnel and touching this is Anfield, you know, the history behind that is fantastic. And, and what a place, what a club.
Um, just to round this off, uh, we, we've obviously spoken about life after football. You, you're involved in property. You're still involved in businesses with, with footballers, um, doing this coaching at that, that B level. Um, what else for you? Uh, those, are my, those are my passions, probably. The, the foundation I've got um, with Mark and with Rio, uh, a property development company that I do myself as well, um, and investments here and there, uh, and, and again, football scapes, really, which... Um, which my kids love and going away, going to some fantastic places and enhancing some people's holidays and some kids' holidays and giving them real unique experiences. Um, I mean, we just come back from Dubai and Michael Owen, you know, sharing his, his wealth of knowledge with five to 15-year-olds on holidays is fantastic and I would have uh, loved to experience that as a kid myself. Every time there's a new announcement in terms of Strictly Come Dancing... I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. There's a part of me that thinks, I wonder if one day Bobby Zamora's name might come up. Uh, none of those ones. Do you know what I would like to do? I'd like to do uh, the island, oh, Bear yeah. Grylls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I would love to do. I, I love the outdoors. I go fishing. I love that sort of outdoor escape sort of thing. And that's a real challenge. And uh, it's for a great cause as well, the guys that, that, that do it, um, the Celebrity Island. So um, if anyone's listening, everyone can help me on that front. Definitely, I'd love to give that a go and a hell of a challenge uh, as a person. Did you see Wayne Bridge on that? Yeah, I see Bridgie on the, on the, on his um, on the, on his soldier thing. That's yeah, unique, and he's done amazing. He's done amazing. Well, good for the footballers as well. You know, you get a lot of stick normally, and yeah, great to see that uh, that Bridges give us a, a great uh, account of ourselves. And the legs would still hold up. Uh, I don't know about all that running, but the island, the island I'd be able to do and surviving on a, on a jungle, I'd like to think I'd be all right on that front. Brilliant. Thank you very much for speaking to us at the Offside Rule. Great to get you on and to get your insight. Pleasure. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.